Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 134 in Edmonton. Royal Pizzas, pizza, pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. Royal Pizza is offering curbside pickup and takeout options for the menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. All right, I've been excited about this one because I've been excited to fawn over the Canucks for a few minutes. Cue the text line lighting up with a bunch of hate for Brendan. <laughs> yeah, we're an oil country, but the Canucks are uh, the lone remaining Western Canadian team. Are they the lone Canadian team, period, now, Cody? Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. So if the entire country isn't cheering for a Stanley Cup, what are you guys doing? Anyway. I don't know if you can do that to oil country. <laughs> I know, okay, I know, I know, but... We're going to talk about them for a few minutes here because they've got an exciting young group that needs to be a hell of a lot better than they were in Game 1. And to talk about that, we are pleased to be joined by Katie Caldwell, our headliner today, brought to you by Touchback Safety. From fall protection to forklift training, trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. Your safety is their goal. Now, Katie Caldwell hosts a, a live speaking series called Puck Talks Live. She's also been a freelance contributor for Sportsnet 650 uh, down in Vancouver, as well as TSN Radio. Radio, Sirius XM on the NHL uh, network channel there. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for lending us some time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm super ready to give all of my time fawning over the Canucks. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and I know that oil country does not want that, but joke's on you. You can give me all the feedback you want, but I'm a woman in sports. We have tough skin, so hit me <laughs> with your words. It will not affect me. All right, sounds <laughs> Let's good. Let's talk Canucks. <laughs> all right, so Katie, um, first of all, I just want to lay the groundwork here. I love the, the way that this team has been built, okay? I think that there's a lot uh, that they've done right and people that they've acquired to supplement the skill that they already had. They've got a great mix, in my opinion, of youth and experience, uh, grit and flair, size and speed, you know, leadership and moxie. They've got a lot of different elements to that Canucks roster um, and all headed up by Horvat as a captain. So just just as somebody that's watched the team sort of build up to this over the last several years, it was a bit of an ugly stretch for them. Um, what are your thoughts on the construction of the Canucks right now? I think this is the first season where they're doing a bit of what the Maple Leafs had a few years ago, where the rebuild is happening. It felt like a while for the Canucks, yes, but it's happened sooner than we thought because all of a sudden you start to look at this team and the two centers they have on their top six, and then you've got a franchise defenseman who his expectations were so high coming into the Canucks and he blew them out of the water and then Markstrom from January on he's been in Vesna talks so I think as soon as you start to slot these pieces together it's been really fun and just the fact that they weren't even really expected to make the playoffs this year and then first series was supposed to be a coin flip and then it's St. Louis and now we're here and we're talking about them it's it's something that's just fun for the market it's fun for the media for everyone because they've just been so bad for so long and it just seemed like 
there was so much anger directed towards the organization where the frustration of draft, it, it, all of it was just the frustration because the, they, it just seemed like they were in a denial of a rebuild for so long. And finally, we're going into it saying, okay, we might actually make the playoffs, and here they are. So it's been a journey, you're right, but it's just been so much fun. It's It's been an interesting sort of rebuild, Katie, in the sense that they missed on Jake Vertanen and Ole Ulevi, at least to this point, right? But they almost had that made up for in the way of Quinn Hughes, who, aside from Game 1 against Vegas, has looked every bit the part of the franchise defenseman that you that you mentioned. And Elias Patterson coming on as early as he did, too. That sort of helped, you know, push this team in the right direction. But you've got to credit Jim Benning again, I say, for adding pieces like JT Miller. You know, that I don't yes. know that that was necessarily well-received out of the gate when that trade was first made, but here's a guy who's almost tailor-made for playoff hockey. He's a great face-off winner. He's a leader. Mm-hmm. He can score, you know, so they've got some supplementary pieces along with their homegrown talent that's allowed them to get as far as they have. Is that a fair uh, a fair assessment? Absolutely, because a lot of this does have to do with luck. You look at that you can draft well all you want, and Ole Ulevi hasn't worked out, and every time Canucks fans see Matthew Kachuk, obviously they will forever be triggered by that. But <laughs> you you hit on the positives with that, where Elias Pettersson had unbelievable expectations, blew them out of the water, won the Calder. Next year, we're in Calder talks again with Quinn Hughes. So these, these young kids that are coming in that have these huge expectations, they're not only meeting but expectations, uh, blowing them out of the water but then you bring in guys like JT Miller where no people weren't excited about that trade now you look at him on the first line and he's producing every single night and his lead up up to the break was just unbelievable every single time he touched the puck he was effective he was scoring but then you bring in guys like Jay Beagle who he's a good penalty killer he's solid on the fourth line there but then you see in game five and six he starts to produce he's making Brandon Sutter better Mott's coming out of nowhere so it's been surprises like having those veteran leadership guys on the bottom six they're producing now too and all of that because they had what 10 guys I think that had never played a playoff game but then when you start adding those veteran pieces to that elite talent that by luck and by hard work has worked out it's kind of just come together to something that's been a bit unexpected but it's working chatting with Katie Caldwell. She's uh, based out of Vancouver, a BC girl herself. I'm a BC guy. Uh, She's a freelance sports contributor for uh, several different radio networks across North America. And we're talking Canucks right now. Um, Jacob Markstrom on an expiring contract. This is a big time audition for him and a lot of other goalies around the league. Do you believe that he is going to re-up with Vancouver and and, uh, be the goaltender sort of of the immediate future there as well? I think it was a conversation throughout the season because they will have cap space issues and I think a lot of Canucks fans are starting to get wrapped up into that right now and all of us just want to scream from the rooftops just relax and enjoy this because we're here right now and like we'll deal with it later but I understood the talks throughout the year and then January February I'm watching I'm going man they need to prioritize him and then with his performance in the playoffs I think that was kind of the icing on the cake where now there's no gray area because we've kind of seen the lineups and how Travis Green can shift those around but especially in the playoffs goaltending is the most important thing it is and we'll get into this with St. Louis and with Vegas but with their last two seasons with the runs that they were able to make you can't do it without a hot goaltender 
So I think when you look at the cap issues that they will run into and how Markstrom has performed under so much pressure, it's a no-brainer to me. You wonder, in trying to keep enough room available there for the contracts of both Hughes and Patterson, you know, this is, mm-hmm. you're almost seeing a similar window of opportunity, n- not quite as what Toronto had out there, and then I don't imagine the Canucks are going to sign someone at $11.5 million a season, but you know what I mean, they're going to have, as mm-hmm. you said, the crunch, so they will have to be forecasting that with Markstrom, but you're right, maybe they don't get past the St. Louis Blues, Katie, if they don't have the likes of Markstrom in net, and then their offensive talent wouldn't matter Anyway, that was an emotionally draining series. I think that Travis Green behind the bench deserves a lot of credit for the Canucks as well. And just being able to get everybody to pull on the same rope. I mean, what was sort of the X factor for you in the Canucks being able to get past the uh, Stanley Cup champions, defending Cup champions? I think that's a really good point because we're talking about Markstrom, we're talking about Petey and all of these different guys, but not enough people are talking about Travis Green. He has shown time and time again because he doesn't have playoff experience. This is so new for him too. And then for it to be such a unique bubble, weird situation in a global pandemic, he's impressing me so, so much. He's being a bit sneaky with the warm-ups and his lineups, which I just love. That's the energy I'm so here for. Make us all guess. <laughs> And then throughout the game, he has no issue throwing all of his lines into a blender. And the thing is, is he's a player's coach. And a lot of people forget that a lot of these guys that he's working with right now, he was coaching them in Utica. So these guys have bought in with him. And that's the big key to the Canucks' success, I think, other than Markstrom, like we were talking about him. He had a 930 save percentage against the defending cup champions. That's just wild. But... Everyone's bought in, and I think a big part of that is Travis Green. There's a level of trust that the guys have for him, and he has the respect for them, and it all just works so well because the trust that they have for Travis, it trickles down, and they all have it with each other. And that works in situations where they're down 3-1 in Game 5, and Travis recognizes what's going on, and everything is thrown around. Guy like Vertanen all of a sudden is bumped up in the, t- the top six, and all of it is just this huge blender of lines. But then they win. And, but then we go back to Markstrom. He's the one while they're figuring that out on the bench. He's the one putting up ridiculous stops to keep them in it. Game five was really the moment for me when they turned it around when they were down three one. I think every Canucks fan was kind of looking at it, going, "Okay." This is this is the feeling we're used to. We've seen this story before. And then Markstrom goes, <laughs> not today. So I think the buy-in is a really, really big uh, attribution to Travis Green and just his creativity, his adaptation, and his preparation and trust. Chatting with Katie Caldwell, a freelance sports journalist. And Katie, Bo, Bo Horvat was a real breakout for the Canucks in that last round. He embodies, to me, what it means to be the captain of an NHL hockey team. I'm wondering how much of Green's message you think he he embodies in that sense, too, and sort of is able to relay in more of a pure role rather than the superior role. And, you know, just Bo Horvat's looked real good in this playoffs, hasn't he? He has looked unbelievable, and I, he deserved that captaincy without question. But then you started to see the comments of, oh, but he's never been in the playoffs. And then what does he do? He comes out and he has highlight real, goal, real goals right away. And um, another thing I wanted to bring up, actually, because this does impact the top six, um, I'm hearing today that Tyler DeFoley truly is day-to-day, and it sounds like he's going to be skating with the main group in the game day skate. So uh, Rick Dollywell of TSN was reporting that. So that does change everything where 
because I'm looking at someone like Mark Stone, where he's looking like the Ryan O'Reilly in the St. Louis series, where Bo Horvat had an amazing first two games, but then things were switched around and he was kind of slated up against O'Reilly and his production did go down. But his leadership really didn't. And I just see, like, as soon as Toffoli slates in, if he can go on to that second line and then re keep the lotto line together on the top line, that changes everything. And that does help someone like Horvat if he's got that support that's not Louis Erickson to his right. So I think Bo Horvat, especially if Tyler Toffoli does come back this series, which it sounds like he will hopefully sooner than later, Bo is only going to keep getting better. And just the respect the guys have for him, there's something special about it. Like this whole team, they have this kind of galvanized attitude where they've been through stuff together. And I think there's no one more perfect to be leading them than Bo Horvat and Jacob Markstrom. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but three of them lost their fathers this year. And two of them were in quarantine, so Markstrom being one of them. So there's something about a group that's led by a captain where everybody's bought in, and I'm looking at Markstrom and Horvat to really, really continue to lead this team. And Horvat, uh, a father in his own right these days, isn't he as well? So he's got yeah. that, that daddy strength uh, working for him, maybe channeling it. Um, Katie, I'm so happy I got to hear that daddy strength on the radio today. I'm so <laughs> you know glad. what? You never know what you're going to get when, uh, when, when I host <laughs> Oilers now. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about game one, because, you know, for all the things that we can say the Canucks have done right in terms of roster construction and that sort of thing, uh, especially if Toffoli comes back. Toffoli, obviously a cup winner, um, somebody that I was pretty disappointed the Oilers didn't necessarily have the cap room to acquire when he was made available by L.A., but I was pleasantly surprised to see him uh, come to uh, to a good competitive Canucks team. Um, but he didn't play in that game one, and frankly, it, for what it's worth, neither did any of the Canucks' top players. Was Ryan <laughs> yeah. Reeves that much of a distraction for that entire game? Um, what do you attribute that to that stinker to in, in game one? Ryan Reeves is such an interesting human being to me, and it's so funny. I'm, I'm a huge Ryan Reeves fan, by the way, but it's so interesting to me how many people were commenting that, like, does Sportsnet know that other players exist? Because they were really, really honing in on Ryan Reeves, but he was entertaining and he was getting it done where he was really aggressive, where he was a huge storyline in that game, but he didn't take one penalty. And that's, I think, the key to Vancouver in this series is their power play is everything to them like in the Blues series their power play went seven for 13 in their wins and 0 for 10 in their losses so one of the biggest thing for them I think is their power play but then yeah you look at someone like Ryan Reeves and Antoine Roussel that's a big battle that we will be continuing to watch Ryan Reeves he made an obvious impact didn't get a penalty whereas Antoine Roussel he got his 10 minute misconduct for hugging I think I don't actually know what happened there that's kind of what that it looks bizarre. like <laughs> No Ryan Reeves is one that there's such a deep team that's the thing like for Alex Tuck to be on the third line that is just unbelievable but I do think there is a path for them to beat them it will not be easy. I'm not sitting here planning the parade, but if you are able to con- not beat, but just contain guys like Ryan Reeves and not let him get under your skin, that's the biggest thing because you can see it already. You can see him making his chicken noises on that bench and everybody's just insulting the Canucks and they were, the insults were hilarious. But 
Mark, these are my keys to what has to happen. Markstrom has to have a bounce back game, go back to playing out of his mind. He had a 930 save percentage in that last series. But as I said, they can't be taking mistake, a lot of mistakes and taking penalties because the refs have not been calling too much. But you still have to be smart and tough and disciplined. And their bottom six is another key to me. Like we talked about how Tyler Mott and Beagle and Sutter and all these guys kind of come out of nowhere. Like there's a path they can do it if everybody takes a page from game six and just does their job. If everybody does their job and shows up and Travis continues to adapt on the fly, I think they can do it. But yeah, guys like Ryan Reeves, he will be a continued problem for the rest of the series. But it's fun. That's why we love this. From a spectator standpoint, absolutely. I've, I've abs- like just he's great TV. He's great TV. Oh, he's great for, for us sure. to be able to turn around and talk about on here. But if you're the Canucks, you're probably better off letting the sleeping dog lie in that sense. Yes. Uh, chatting with Katie Caldwell, I want to ask you one more thing, Katie. While I have the female voice on the platform right now, Mike Milbury, obviously a let go or suspended, I guess, from NBC Sports. Uh, just your take on on uh, sort of an off-color comment. Definitely one too many uh, for Milbury. I think that is, goes without saying, but what was your, just as a female journalist and someone trying to make it in this uh, in this or who has made it and is trying to continue forging her path excuse me uh, what did you make of that no I first of all I really appreciate you asking this question because it's a sensitive subject and it's uncomfortable but it's really really important because I think a lot of people don't realize how hard this has been on us and then we see kind of the old boys club make misogynistic comments and It's sad because my first thought was just like, I didn't even think anything of it because we've existed in a world where we're very used to that. And just the word distraction just has so many different levels of inappropriate. And it's hard because it's it's been a pattern. If it's one slip of the tongue, I don't approve of that, obviously, because we have a, a platform and you need to be aware. And this should be inclusive. But yeah, it has been a pattern. And the thing is, is like, there's not a lot of us in the industry because it's hard. We came in and the conversations of these really started with the Washington Post article with the Washington football team. But we as women come into this telling ourselves two things. It is the way that it is, and you knew what you were getting into. So we've just been kind of taught to accept these things, and now we're finally at a place where we we shouldn't have to be accepting these things. We're professionals. We have a right to be here, just like everyone else does. So comments like that really do undermine the work that we put in, but it's... It's nice now where we have male colleagues like you having these uncomfortable conversations and giving people like me a platform to talk about it because it's not easy, but we all need to be accountable. We need to be accountable for what we say and maybe just stop being so mean. (laughs) (laughs) In general, please. The internet is something else. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, particularly. Twitter mentions for one day and then I think it would kind of just change the attitude of oh it's not so nice out there Mm -hmm. so as I said I appreciate you asking the question and all I can hope is that we can continue the conversation absolutely and certainly myself and and uh, you know like-minded new wave journalists I I don't want to label the old school as maybe more prone to that kind of thing but I uh, I have a keen interest in in being an ally for for those like yourself Katie it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you thank you for your initial appearance on Oilers now I hope it's not the last thank you for your Canucks insight all the best 
Thanks for having me. All right, that is Katie Caldwell from Puck Talks Live. She's a freelance contributor as well for Sportsnet 650 Radio in Vancouver, TSN Radio at uh, times, as well as Sirius XM on the NHL Network channel. We'll step out one last time here on Oilers Now, back with this day in Oilers history. Let's take a peek at this day in Oilers history, shall we? And this one not too far removed, back in 1991. Eero Pakarainen is born in Lovisa, Finland. He signed as a free agent with the Oilers in 2014 after being picked 184th overall in 2011 by the Florida Panthers. Pakarainen's only NHL action has come with the Oilers, where he registered 23 points in 134 games before departing for the KHL to start the 2018 season. What do you think, Cody? Did uh, did she make a good enough case you believe we might have a Canadian uh, at least Western Conference finalist? Are they going to get past Vegas or are they in pretty tough right now? <laughs> They're going to need to pull a 360 from game one. I'm really excited yeah. to watch the game though. Like nonetheless, although Vegas dominated, it was still a great hockey game. Yeah, it really was. Um, if there is more extracurriculars, this might be a situation where somebody's just got to square up, take the beating from Ryan Reeves, get it over with, get McEwen it off of... time. Sure. Are they going to dress him? I guess we'll find out. But, you know, if that's... Sure, you're going to dress a mercenary. You're going to take care of the problem in the first 10, 15 minutes of game two. The thing about Ryan Reeves is, and I didn't get a chance to say this to, to Katie, but, like, she's right. He is so smart in the way that he goes about doing things. He doesn't put his team at any kind of detriment. He goes out there. He's a master manipulator. He's a master intimidator. And then he comes away unscathed, for crying out loud, most of the time. So, uh, hey, what do you do? What do you do? Other than you better hope you've got the horses who can step up on your own end or you leave that dog asleep. Smart agitator. That's the, that's the two words to describe him. I love it. Smart agitator. I bet you you could text me 780-496-0063 and recall a few smarter agitators from back in the day. Tuesday edition in the books of Oilers Now Tomorrow. As always, our uh, Wednesday list of guests, David Staples from the Cult of Hockey, coming up tomorrow, as is Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. A colleague of his getting an interview down in Florida for a vacant GM position. We'll talk to him about that. Also hear from NHL insider John Shannon. You know we'll have plenty to recap from the two games tonight. It's Boston and Tampa, and then it's the Canucks and Vegas. I'll be taking them both in. I hope you will, too. Appreciate your contributions on the text line. We'll throw it to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell coming up tonight on Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. You hear from uh, Sportsnet 960's Pat Steinberg with guest host Dave Campbell as well. Eileen's up next with the headlines. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.